after the service, uh, there's a cafe out there. People are welcome to stay for coffees and teas. But if you're a guest, you can jump that coffee queue. And you can go to our welcome lounge in this corner here and uh, have a coffee. You might want to know a little bit more about the church. And uh, there's be people there who can uh, guide you or, or, or ask you. They won't pounce on you. But they're just friendly people who will just answer any question that you might have about the church. So you're welcome to go there. I'm going to read from um, John's Gospel, chapter 3. You might have it on your phone or you might have a Bible. This is a quite a well-known story. It's about a guy called Nicodemus who came to visit Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this. After dark one evening... A Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you were born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can uh, hear the wind, uh, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What do you mean, Nicodemus asked? It's a very poignant question. What What do you mean? What does Jesus mean? What is the What is what Jesus is trying to say? What is his meaning? In this gospel, the gospel of John, it's about this important man. And I guess uh, the equivalent to Nicodemus these days would be perhaps a a local councillor or an MP. Uh, He was visiting Jesus. He was a Pharisee. And Pharisees did not really like to be seen with Jesus. They were open to quite a lot of criticism from Jesus. So he came at the dead of night. And he wanted to, to talk to Jesus and to ask Jesus Uh, An important question that he had. Jesus was shaking up the establishment at the time. He was uncovering a lot of bad teaching, wrong teaching, corruption in the religious government at that time. So Nicodemus came at night time to talk to Jesus, to ask him some questions. And uh, before he asked those questions, he sort of prefaced his conversation with Jesus by saying this. Teacher, we all know that God has sent you. For your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. It's interesting that if you read Jewish history, not just out of biblical uh, scripts, but out of ordinary Jewish history at the time, Jesus is recorded there and then for miraculous signs. Obviously, scripture explains what those miraculous uh, signs are really pointing to. But Jewish, Jewish history by Josephus and other writers, they just, they just say, well, Jesus was a man. He existed, and he did do miraculous signs. They can't come up with the reason why, but it's historic writings, and it's there. 
But Jesus, he wasn't flattered by Nicodemus's words at all. And I don't know whether Nicodemus was trying to flatter him. But Jesus wasn't impressed by his affirmations. Uh, he knew really what Nicodemus had come about. So he didn't beat around the bush. He was quite direct with Nicodemus. He didn't hesitate. He came straight to the point. He hit the nail on the head. He knew why Nicodemus had come to him and what he was really asking. So Jesus' reply was a bit interesting. He said this, I assure you, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Born again. We misunderstand that because we think that born again is a term that uh, an American TV evangelist might have invented. But Jesus used the term born again. To be reborn. To begin again. To start all over again. What does that really mean? Have you ever had to start all over again? It can be quite frustrating. A few years ago I was putting together uh, a wardrobe that we'd bought from... Well, it's now Ikea. It was Ikea, but it's changed for some reason. But anyway, and uh, we unwrapped all the flat packs, got them all out, and all the fittings and everything like that, made sure I got the right tools. I noticed that the manual that came inside the sort of like cardboard box was a little bit different from the wardrobe that I got. But anyway, it looked a bit different. But undaunted, I quickly set about to work. And uh, it took me quite a long time because the manual didn't seem to be right. But I seemed to be making progress, so I just carried on. And it wasn't until I'd almost put it all together that I realized all the drawers that I'd made to go into this wardrobe weren't going to fit onto the runners that I'd already put and screwed to the, the wardrobe. And then I realized that the manual that you get for it, well, it's a, it's a different kind of wardrobe that way around. But if you turn it over, that was my wardrobe. So I had to take the whole daft thing apart, start all over again, which was very frustrating. Sort of reminded me of my first car. When I was learning to drive and I, I had my test coming up, I bought an old banger and uh, it was a Morris 1300. And uh, I've got a stencil and sprayed turbo on the engine because that made it go a bit faster. And, um, and I was trying to repair this car uh, in time for me to pass my test. But it needed a lot doing to it because it was a wreck. It was rusty. It needed welding. There was something's wrong with the engine. So every night for three months, me and my dad would go in the garage and we'd, uh, we'd get all those overalls on and we'd weld and we'd fix and we'd spanner and we'd oil and we'd get the thing, thing going. And eventually, we, we, we made the car run and it passed its MOT and it was brilliant. And I passed my driving test, which was great. And I started to drive it for a couple of weeks and then it was a bit icy one day and I ran into the back of somebody's nice new Volvo. And... Um, I had to repair it all over again, which was very boring and, and really annoying. And quite annoying for the Volvo driver as well, I'm sure. But anyway. But the starting all over again that Jesus is talking about is very different. You see, my experience of starting all over again was annoying, frustrating, boring. But the starting all over again that Jesus is talking about is none of those things. To have a chance... To start your life again, all over again. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. 
Because it seems to me that there's a lot of people in the world, and certainly I was one of them, who got to the stage in their lives where they'd started putting their lives together in a fashion, in a way that seemed right to them. And certainly it was seemed right to me. And as, as life gets started a little bit more complicated, things don't start to look the way that perhaps they should have looked. And you don't seem to have an instruction manual to look at. So you, you muddle along and you carry on. And then as you get on and you start making even bigger mistakes, you realize that some things are really ill-fitting. And some things just don't fit together and don't look right at all. And by the end of it, you've made a real mess. And it's very hard to think, well, you only get one crack at life. And I've made a mess of this. How do I, how do I get back to the beginning, how do I actually start again? It's like we've been using the wrong instructions or maybe no instructions at all. But Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. What did he mean by that? Did he really mean that you could begin life all again? Nicodemus, he sort of like said, yeah, well, do, does that mean I have to, how can I enter back into my, my mother's womb? I can't grasp it. How can I actually be born again? But Jesus went on to explain that being born again means starting a new life. No longer living as your number one, but acknowledging that somebody else is number one. Perhaps this somebody else is somebody who, who made all this, who set this whole thing going in the first place, who created this. And yet, this has suddenly gone and said, well, I know better. I'll work my, by my own instructions. I'll do my own thing, thank you very much. And then somewhere down the line, we realize that we have made a mess. But Jesus is saying, I can deal with that mess if you, if you let me. If you let me deal with it. How do I get this new life? How can I be born again? And actually, what has Jesus to do with that? I mean, many people start again. Some people change their jobs. Some people change partners. Some people think that just by changing their hairstyles and having a makeover, then their whole life will be, will be renewed and they'll be able to start all over again. Some people have cosmetic surgery. Some people have more drastic surgery. And they think that, that by beginning it all again, they'll be able to get things right. And yet, it doesn't seem to get things right. Some people leave the country, go to a totally different place and realize that, well, actually, it's the same. It's the same, it's just a different location. The singer, Will Young, said in an article, you spend all your life and effort trying to get to the top, and when you get there, once you've reached the top, you realize there's nothing there. The new life that Jesus is talking about is something quite different, something far better. We're currently in the time of Lent, and we're leading up to Good Friday and the crucifixion and Easter Sunday, the resurrection. This is a special time, not just for Christians, I, I have to say, because if you really investigate it, special doesn't even come close to actually describing what this time is really all about. It's immensely significant for not just the history of the world, but the future of the world as well. When you think about the big films like the biblical epics of Cecil B. DeMille 
and uh, the Jesus of Nazareth series, and more recently, the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ, you realize that the whole story of Jesus and him dying on the cross is the greatest true story ever. It has everything. Yes, it has action. Yes, it has adventure. Yes, it has miracles. Yes, it has healing. But more importantly, it has someone dying on the cross for every single person on the earth. The ultimate hero. And all the greatest stories and all the deeply moving Hollywood blockbusters that have ever been have no better theme than this. So what does it all mean? In a survey just out this year, people were asked if they believe in the, in the crucifixion. Do they believe that the crucifixion actually took place? And interestingly, because all you ever get on the news is sort of like quite negative stuff about, uh, about faith, 86% of people said, yes, I do believe in the crucifixion. I do believe it was a historic event. I do believe it took place. The most epic story doesn't end there though. The Bible says that Jesus didn't just die. Three days later, says the Bible, he came back to life. He rose again. He was resurrected. And this happening was recorded and witnessed by so many people. Like I said, in Jewish and Greek uh, history, the proof is overwhelming. So that same survey asked people again, if they thought the resurrection of Jesus was true. And 80% of people surveyed said yes. That means that the overwhelming majority of the UK believe that there was a, a crucifixion and a resurrection of Jesus. They were historic events. And that's backed up with independent historical evidence that verifies them both, not just in Scripture. So... If this is true, and that survey is correct, and more to the point, that survey is reflected across how many people we've got even here this morning. What does that actually mean for every single one of us, for you and for I? What do we do with that? Is the crucifixion real? Is the resurrection real? What does it actually mean for me? I mean, there's many a true story from history that has had a profound effect on people. And even gone so far as to change attitudes or, or viewpoints on certain issues. But never before has there been a person falsely tried, crucified and come back to life. That's only happened in Jesus. And the Bible records that and history proves that. So what does that mean for you and I? Living this life, whether we're living by our own instructions or God's instructions. Well there's a fantastic bit. Further on in this gospel. In, in John chapter 20. Towards the end. After Jesus has been crucified. When Mary. Comes to the tomb of Jesus. To put fresh spices. On the body. And she finds the tomb. Opened. And she goes into the tomb. And all she finds are the grave clothes. The body's gone. We know that Jesus has been resurrected, but Mary doesn't. So she's, she's deeply emotional anyway. She's upset that Jesus has been crucified. But even more so now because she believes that the body has been stolen. And the body's gone somewhere. And she doesn't know where Jesus is. 
And John describes how Mary is crying and Jesus approaches her. And we don't know whether it's from behind or she can't really see him. But he comes up and he says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And John, the writer of the gospel, interestingly, he lets us know what's going on in Mary's mind. What she's thinking about. He does this deliberately because the gospel writers always have a reason for writing what they, ha- what they did. There's never, there's never a throwaway comment. So John's really, really uh, concerned in, in letting us know what's going on in Mary's mind. So John writes this. Thinking he was the gardener. She says, they have taken the body of my Lord. Thinking that Jesus was the gardener. What does it matter that Mary thought Jesus was the gardener? Why would John put this seemingly irrelevant piece or phrase into this momentous passage that's all about the resurrection? Well, it helps us understand ancient writings when we we realize that the Jewish and the Greek writers had many layers of meaning into all sorts of little details that they that they mentioned nothing was nothing was there by mistake or or just as fancy work and one way of working out what is going on in the writer's head is by using a method called the uh, the principle of first mention where's where's what he's he's mentioning here where's it first mentioned in other words in the rest of scripture in the rest of the bible where is it first mentioned this particular subject so here in the gospel deliberately put into this account is mary outside the tomb mistaking jesus as the gardener so where in the bible is the first mention of a garden well you look right back through scripture and it's right back at the very beginning in genesis chapter 2 Right at the beginning, the account of God creating everything, this world, making the animals, making the vegetation, making humanity, creating humanity, putting humanity in this garden. And the people, for a while, live according to how God wants them to live. And it is good, says Scripture. Then, disaster happens. Mankind... Adam and Eve, as it's explained in in Scripture, decide they want to live by their instructions. They want to live by their rules. They don't want God's rules anymore. And so they do their own thing. They reject God's instruction. And they start to live by their instruction. And disaster comes upon the whole world. Sin, the Bible declares it. Sin enters the world. Sin is living how you please. Living how you want. And we see it every night on the news. People living how they want. And people get killed because of that. And people live in misery because of that. And people live in poverty because of that. And people die. Death enters the world. And a barrier goes up between humanity and God. Man chooses to live by his own instructions. And really truly makes a mess of it. And they reject God's instructions. So what John in his gospel is getting across in a brilliant way. Is the truth that Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world. The sin that first entered through the garden of Eden. And his resurrection 
showing that he has the power over death is our, our indicator that he is all-powerful. And he is worthy of our worship. And he's worth taking notice of. His instructions of how to live might be the clue. They might be the correct way. This is what Easter is all about. God's answer to the sin in our lives. The wrong that we've done. The wrong that we've said. The wrong that we've thought. The way we've lived to please ourselves. Never giving God a second thought. And yet all the while, he's there. Offering us the chance to start all over again. To have this new life. To be born of the Spirit. To recognize Jesus is our Savior on the cross. To recognize He's our Lord being risen again. And to be free from the guilt and the sin that so easily binds us up. Total forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice. Total freedom through His resurrection. So to be born again is to actively respond to the reality of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection back to life. To believe that he did this for every single one of us. And to realize only he can deal with that sin in our lives. Only he can put things right in our lives. And only he is worth following in a world so messed up with wrong. The Bible says all of us have sinned. It goes on to say, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's standards. So that sin, no matter how great or how small, is preventing us from having a living relationship with God. Living by God's instructions. It's that, that real thing is self. We know better than you, God. It was the original sin back in that garden. And it needs dealing with. Therefore, every single one of us needs a saviour. Every single one of us needs that sin in our lives dealing with that we can't get rid of. Someone had to pay the price for us. That was Jesus dying on the cross for all of our sin. Mary, through her tears, says something really poignant. She says, they have taken my Lord. What does that mean? They've taken the one I follow, is what it really means. The one who I build my life around. The one whose instructions I take. The one who's affected my life so much that I obey him rather than what's coming out of my own heart. The resurrection of Jesus declares that he is worth following. That his instruction is worth obeying. And therefore he's worth making Lord. So every individual needs a saviour and a Lord. The saviour is to get rid of our past Lord is to deal with our present and our future. This is what it means to be born again. And this morning, the challenge is, what does it mean for you and I? What does it mean this morning? We're all like Nicodemus. It seems so confusing when we read the Bible. And yet, when we have it explained and we realize what the cross is all about and what the resurrection is all about, that's what it's about. It's dealing with self and sin and it's making him Lord of our lives so that we can live our lives free from guilt. We can live our lives in communion with him, the one who made everything, the one who gives us the instruction to live, to live by. Sadly, we live in a world that has largely rejected that and yet we know that it's in a mess. Maybe 
Maybe this world will be a better place if we live by God's instructions. We can only do that by doing something about it in ourselves. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something about that right now. You might have felt God really tugging at you through what I've been speaking about. Something might have made sense for once. And that's the Holy Spirit really illuminating to you that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God sent his son to die for you. And Jesus is worth following because he lives, he's alive, his resurrection is real and true. And you can do something about that this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. You might want to close your eyes because what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray a prayer that... If you really want Jesus to come in as your Lord and Savior in your life, if you want to be free from that guilt and you want to own him as Lord and follow his instructions, today you've got a choice. You can make a decision for Jesus this morning to to be your Lord and Savior, to begin a fresh new start. This is your moment. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. You can follow it. You don't even have to follow it word for word because it's not a formula. It's a prayer. It's what's going on in your heart that really counts. And it's a prayer really saying, God, take my sin. Take my sin and come into my life as my Lord. And I'm going to pray that prayer through and you can respond this morning. Let me, let me just lead you through it right now. If you're genuine, if you're sincere, you follow this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus... Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin in your body on that cross and dying in my place. Lord, help me to live my life according to what you want me to do. Lord, I've made a mess of my life and it's resulted in sin. Lord, I repent of that sin And I invite you to come and be Lord of my life right now. I want to know you as my saviour, but I want to know you as my Lord as well. And I want to follow you. Come in to stay. Come in today. While every head is bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, God has seen you and God has heard you, that's for sure. You can know that Even today, now, your sins are forgiven. But we want to give you something that will really help you. A little booklet. It's free of charge. And uh, we want to give you something that will really help you to begin that journey with God. So I want to ask you to indicate whether you prayed that prayer this morning. Just by raising your hand. And when you raise your hand, just put your hand up. And an usher will come and put that booklet in your hand and you can take your hand down. So if you prayed that prayer this morning and you really meant it, please raise your hands right now. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. There was quite a few people in first service. Thank you. You just raise your hand higher. Yes, I I want Jesus' forgiveness. I want him as Lord of my life. Just raise your hand right now. God bless you. Thank you. When you've got the booklet, just put your hand down. Father, thank you, Lord, for these people, Lord, that have prayed that prayer and you've heard them. Lord, may they be assured right now, Lord, that their sins are forgiven, that their new life has begun. 
They are born of the Spirit. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would protect them and guide them and enable them to begin this journey with you as Lord and Saviour. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that this week will be a great week for them and it will be a great start to their, 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 their eternity with you. Father, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you got that one, of the, one of those little booklets. There's a little pull-out sheet in the booklet. And we want to invite you to Alpha. If you can fill that sheet in with your details, either give that little card to an usher or to the welcome desk outside. And uh, I'll write to you. I'll not bombard you with anything else. I'll just write to you, invite you to, to Alpha. If you've still got questions and you didn't quite... Uh, well, you were genuine. You didn't pray that prayer this morning, but you've still got questions. Then we'd love you to do Alpha anyway. So please look for a person afterwards with a, a, a red question mark on their T-shirt. They'll either be at the front or at the back. And come and uh, come and just sign up for Alpha. Let us know that you're coming so that we can uh, get in touch with you and, and invite you. It'd be a pleasure to see you on Alpha. Let's stand, shall we?